One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, episode 38. Catherine Whitaker is back. I'm here as well, David Law, and uh, we are here to talk tennis. I was at uh, in the BBC studios for the first time over the weekend, Catherine. They've moved up to Salford in Manchester, and we were in the, the studio there uh, presenting the Fed Cup match uh, between Great Britain and Argentina. So we'll be talking Fed Cup, reflecting on all of that. And of course, how could we possibly not talk about Monte Carlo and that amazing performance from Novak Djokovic? to win the title, beating Rafael Nadal and ending his 10-year reign at that tournament. He's only only lost, that's the first time he's lost, since 2003 when he was 16 years of age. So what a performance it was from Novak Djokovic. And we're also going to hear from a man who pushed Nadal very close as well. That was Grigor Dimitrov, the tennis podcast's own, the man that we're always talking about as the next big thing. Is it going to happen, Catherine? It might just... Oh, yeah. Well, it's happening, isn't it? It's happening. Well, maybe it It might be happening. Very exciting, (laughs) isn't it? How how, how are you this week, Catherine? Have you uh, have you been uh, playing any tennis at all? Uh, no, possible plans to play tonight, given that they're on this rare, rare day, the sun appears to be out. So yeah, what is that thing make... in the sky? What is that yellow blob? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's a very strange uh, condition. So uh, who's your who's your victim tonight? Oh, my brother, as always. Uh, oh, yeah. My my uh, my range of uh, my pool of opponents is not particularly deep. No, but it doesn't need to be, does it, Catherine? Because, uh, you know, if you can beat your brother, you don't need to beat anybody else, quite honestly. So uh, that that's great. Uh, so what have we got to talk about today uh, in the tennis podcast? Novak Djokovic, what a performance, Catherine, where to go? Staggering, staggering. Alarm bells ringing for Rafa, I think. But uh, I... Uh... I was blown away by Djokovic, quite frankly. I, I thought that was uh, a masterful performance um, in, in in Monte Carlo of all places. Um, quite quite sensational. Yeah, I mean the the thing is as well. I mean Nadal looked in great form early on in the tournament, didn't he? Because he was, you know, clearly fresh. He hadn't played at all since Indian Wells. And he came in looking absolutely ripped as though he'd been putting in loads of training. And it was just that moment when he played against Dimitrov and he went 5-2 up in the first set, Nadal, and, and, and won that opening set. And he looked pretty much impossible to beat at that stage. And then Dimitrov just just showed a couple of chinks of light, didn't he? And I think that probably Djokovic was watching that. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I suspect, well, I, I'd be very surprised if Djokovic wasn't wasn't watching that. And uh, I'd say he <laughs> definitely didn't hurt him if he, if he was watching. I, I mean, I think 
For me, uh, although early on in the tournament he did look like he was moving as well as ever before, in that final, I I don't know what you think. I don't know how, how closely you were able to analyse it. He was running round his backhand to hit the inside-out forehand far less than 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 we would previously have seen from him. Is that something you noticed? I, I thought Djokovic was beating him by, by breaking down his backhand and it, I just felt like he was hitting far more backhands from that juice court than, than we'd usually see from him. Do you think that's probably as as a result as well of of Nadal just not having enough time because of the game of Djokovic? He hits so flat, doesn't he, Djokovic? He basically drives through Nadal in a way that I don't think anybody else in the world is able to. I mean, um, possibly, of... but sorry, David. So, possibly, but the stats. I mean, I've looked up the stats because that was something I noticed in particular. And in fact, the ATP have done a very interesting article with, um, analyzing that match. And one of the things that they focused in on is is how Djokovic broke down the backhand. And the stats don't lie. Um, let me just bear with me one moment. Uh, Twenty eight uh, backhand errors in two sets from Rafa. Whereas in the four sets of their 2012 French Open final, um, Rafa had the same number. So in four sets in Roland Garros, uh, the same number of backhand errors compared to in two sets yesterday. Wow, crikey. That's uh, that's quite quite interesting, isn't it? I mean, do, do we think that this is perhaps something that other players... I mean. It's difficult to replicate what Novak Djokovic does on the court, isn't it? But is this something that other players can watch on video and think, right, that's how I'm going to take on Rafael Nadal? I would say yes, but with caution, because there's not many people that can that can do it the way... Well, there's nobody that can do it the way Djokovic can. I think he was... Djokovic was hitting his... He was obviously... He had the game plan of attacking the backhand. He was doing that largely by hitting his backhand down the line a lot of the time. And he hits his backhand down the line like like a like a bullet in a way that other people can't. Possibly Murray can can do that on the backhand. He can certainly do that change of direction to hit the backhand down the line masterfully. But yes, it, it is a model for for how to beat Rafa on clay, but a model that only works if executed with absolute precision. Which, as we know, <laughs> I mean, there's a reason he's number one, and and other people can't execute those sorts of shots with the same consistency and precision. So, um, yeah, it's it's a, it's an example to follow for others, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's they'll be quite order. as successful. <laughs> yeah, so basically I think what we're saying is it's going to be a bit of a struggle if anybody decides, oh, I'm going to be Novak Djokovic next time I play against Rafael Nadal. I mean, that was one thing I noticed uh, uh Peter Fleming was saying in the match that Dimitrov played against Nadal. Early on, he said, it's as though Nadal is trying to loop these ground strokes or, or Djokovic is trying to loop these. What Peter Fleming was saying is it's as if Dimitrov is trying to loop these ground strokes to Nadal the way that Federer does. And it just doesn't have any impact on Nadal. You have to actually drive through him and take his time away. Yeah, I'd say that. I'd say that's absolutely bang on. Um it doesn't work, you know. Federer has very limited success against against Rafa, particularly on clay. Um, and I have to say, I wasn't expecting Djokovic's tactic to be quite as successful as, as it was. I was really quite taken aback um, by that. Um, 
but it is obviously it's obviously the right course to take um depending on how effectively you can you can execute it where where does this um where does this leave us now do you think going into the rest of the clay court season we've now moved on to to barcelona which is another tournament that that nadal wins basically every year and uh, and and Djokovic isn't playing it and of course we've had these question marks over Djokovic's ankle he tw- turned it in the Davis Cup so he's taking a week off I think those off. are gone David for yeah, me well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried about Djokovic's ankle anymore he just You're beat Rafa worried. in straight sets at Monte Carlo yeah. alright no. then yeah. okay. that well, ankle I mean, is just fine but do you think that this shifts the power a little bit because oh, I think it shifts the thinking... power a lot I think it shifts the power enormously um, I I I I think I attach enormous significance to 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 yesterday's victory. I really do, or Sunday's victory. Ooh. So hold on a minute. How much significance do you think, uh, fitness permitting, that Djokovic is now the favourite for the I French do. Open? I do. I really do. Um, you know that was no fluke. I think Nadal was playing playing well. I don't think there was anything up with him. Um, you know Monte Carlo is as much Rafa's turf as as Roland Garros is, um, and Rafa's fitness since coming back hasn't been tested over five sets. So that is another unknown. So I absolutely now put put Djokovic as the favourite for Roland Garros. Wow. Well, what do you think, uh, listeners, on Twitter to the Tennis Podcast? Let us know your thoughts. Is Nadal still the favourite for the French Open, as the bookies are suggesting, or is Novak Djokovic having dismantled Nadal in the Monte Carlo final? Is he the favourite? The world number one, we know that. And there's lots still to come, of course. Uh, They'll go to uh, Madrid in a few weeks' time. and, And in fact, uh, they've dispensed with the the blue clay out there, haven't they, Catherine? They've uh, they've seen sense, I suppose, and uh, and and heard all the the complaints uh, that the players made about how slippery it was. And yeah. Djokovic and Nadal were two of the most vocal ones of those. Uh, and Roger un- Federer quite liked it. <laughs> an unmitigated failure, I'd say. The blue clay. I mean, I sort of applaud the the endeavour and trying to do something different. Um, and and innovative and eye catching, but um, it didn't work, did it? Just didn't work. Do you not? Do you not think, though, in a way that maybe it was in the players' heads a little bit? Because I mean, well, possibly. I mean, terms... it's right there in front of them all the time. It's pretty, it, it, quite distracting. Um, yeah, I think there possibly is an element of that. But you know, I remember watching some of Madrid last year, and I remember speaking to Carlos Moyer about it because he had practiced a bit on the blue clay, and he was pretty scathing about it um and, and that's his tournament so so he was uh, you know yeah. he was uh, not gonna say that without but isn't that a bit weird why would a court just because it's changed color be be any different in its conditions of play i mean surely well i think i think that's a color. scientific answer isn't it that we're not in, in order to make it blue they had to do something to it that that changed the consistency or, or I don't know. We're on we're on scientific territory here, David. That I, I think is rather thin ice. So uh, I'm going to stop. I was, quite, I, I was quite good at chemistry. Okay, far away then. You explain it. I've absolutely no idea, uh, but uh, no. I mean, it's a, it's a shame in a way because it would have it it, it showed a, just a little bit of um, innovation, didn't it? But uh, at the same time, I kind of I kind of saw a couple of days worth of it, and then I was sick of it, and I mm. wanted the red clay back. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of like, it's, I mean, 
it's like trying to entertain a child, isn't it, with different colours. I mean, it's not... It, yes, it's eye-catching at first, but it's still just a blue... I mean, there's plenty of blue quartz throughout the year, aren't they? Just because it's clay, I mean... Sort of exactly as you said, after a day or two, you're used to it and, oh. you calling me a child, Catherine? No, I, I'm saying you're not a child because you got oh. you got bored of that after a couple of oh. days. You know, that's, it, it, at the end of the day, it's just a blue court, isn't it? There's, a, yeah, there's so only, you are there's only like so long the excitement of a blue court can last That's exactly what for. you're saying. That's exactly what you're saying. You're saying that I'm a child who gets bored after a couple of days and I shouldn't go any further with this conversation, Catherine, because, you know, Getting offended here. <laughs> I think you're misunderstanding <laughs> what I was saying, David. Stop okay. being so sensitive. I'm being deliberately annoying. <laughs> uh, now, uh, Andy Murray didn't have a very good time in Monte Carlo, did he? He won the first round and then he lost in straight sets to Stanislas Wawrinka. Crikey, that was a, an absolute hammering. What on earth was all that about? Yeah, I mean, I did see that one as, as potentially tricky for him, but I certainly didn't see a hammering coming. coming. Um yeah, he he looked like he was cut, uh, all guns blazing at the start of the match, and then it just all fell a bit limp, didn't it? From him, he just went all his game went all feeble and and brittle, and uh, it was bizarre, frankly. Um, I don't think Nendel will have been happy with that because I know he was targeting some real improvements on clay. This year. Well, it's, it's it's notable just how much time they spent out on the practice court for the rest of the week. I mean, every time I, I heard from one of my colleagues over in Monte Carlo, they were talking about how they were going through their paces over there on the practice courts, really putting in the time. And, and, and I think that's what it's all about, is, is him becoming comfortable on the surface of clay, under his feet, the way he is on other surfaces, so that he trusts those elements. I, I think he's thinking too much when he's out on a clay court at the moment about how to move and how to to address the ball in a way that he just wouldn't have to on other surfaces. And I suppose repetition is really the only way around that. Well, I'd agree with you there, except he did grow up on clay, not not from the age of two when he first picked up a racket, but what age was he when he went over to the Sanchez Casal Academy at 12 or so, 11 or 12? I, th- I think that that is a slight, um, a slight misnomer in a way. I, don't, I think he... Everybody thinks that that is what happened, that, that he grew up on clay. No, he well, I did I did there. caveat that, you know, it's not the same as, as Rafa's level of comfort with clay. Absolutely not. But it's also not the same as, you know, Andy Roddick coming over and trying to play on the European clay, is it? I mean, he does, He sh- I, I feel he should be slightly more comfortable than he is, is all. That's That's mm. my feeling. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I mean, I think I think Andy Murray is sl- is rather a manufactured clay court player. He he can get by, um, but but I mean, it's interesting that Dimitrov. You know, we think of him as a a faster court player, and he said, "No, I I grew up on clay. I'm very comfortable on it." And and you, and the way he moves, you can kind of see the difference really with the way Murray moves. I I, I always think, and it's the same when I used to watch Sampras on it as well. You know, you just thought, yeah. No, they don't never really know how to do this. Um, but I, but I think Murray has got the bigger upside. I think Murray is capable. I mean, let's be honest. He's been to the semi-finals of the French Open. He obviously knows what he's doing. But I think he has to build up to that point. I think he has to play a lot of matches and a lot of tournaments. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and perhaps also there's an element of what he's been doing with his game over the past eighteen months since employing Nendel is 
becoming more aggressive and getting the first punch in early, which perhaps runs contrary to perhaps his old style of, of play was that little bit more suited to Clay, where he was more happy to sit back and get involved in a in a longer rally and wait for the, the perfect moment to, to make his move. You know, possibly there's an element of that, although... Again, I think Lendl is is equipped and experienced enough to um, to give him the the right strategies to to employ on on yeah, clay. he's, he's so. perfect for Murray. It's almost the most apart from getting his mind right that that helped him win that U.S. Open title. I think that this is the next big step for for Ivan Lendl is to just teach him the nuances of clay court tennis, having won the title a number of times himself and. Um, I think it's going to be a fascinating clay court season. I hope Andy Murray stays fit. I hope they all stay fit. But I mean, you know, he he had a I think he had an ankle problem or something like that, didn't he? Last year, he certainly couldn't play Madrid, and and he I think he wasn't exactly on a hundred percent fit physical fitness when he was at the French last year. Obviously, he ran into the the human wall that is David Ferrer, and uh, and not too many people come out well from that. But anyway, we'll follow the uh, the rest of the clay court season with interest, of course. And what about the Fed Cup, Catherine? Because, as I mentioned, I, I was presenting the, the Five Live Sports Extra coverage for the BBC of the British tie against uh, Argentina in Argentina. And it just shows how hard it is to go over there and get a result, doesn't it? Because... You know, I mean, Britain would have been the favourite, certainly on rankings, and uh, they got to 1-1. But, you know, a couple of players you've probably not heard too much about suddenly played some seriously good tennis. And I think probably Laura Robson certainly showed her inexperience in mm. not quite really being able to to handle the conditions, the crowd getting involved, probably getting under her skin a little bit, you know. And, That's it, uh, isn't it? I mean, it, it is inexperience, and I don't want to... I don't, I don't think Laura Robson should have too hard a time for having lost to, to a player that on ranking she should have taken care of because experience in Davis and Fed Cup scenarios is is, is very different isn't it and and you can understand why why it does have such an effect on players playing in a in a hostile environment um so I you know I don't want to diminish that as a factor but there again I, I do really really think they they could they could have won that that tie and no it's yeah. a tough challenge it was, going to Argentina. It was touch and go. It, it was definitely touch and go. I mean, you know, with Gisela Dolko not there anymore that you know they and being one all overnight, I think if Robson had won that that rubber, they may have gone on and actually won it. I mean, whether it was in the doubles at the end or I suppose that there's always going to be that question mark over whether the selection of, mm. of Elena Baltacci was the right one. Well I was going uh, to ask you about that. You know, what's your I mean, what's th- your call? It's you know it's so easy in hindsight to say oh I would have picked somebody else but I mean I think if if I'd have been making the decision beforehand I think I think I was leaning towards Jan Kiothovong personally mm. um, based on uh, what Jonathan Overham was saying having seen her in practice over there although I've I've often said I don't think think we as lay people can read that much into practice sessions but I think she was up for it just as as much and as Elena was she's, yeah. I think yeah. the biggest the biggest difference is Elena Baltacha played very well at in points and and I think is the more equipped player to have won that 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 match than Kyothovong is but she just hasn't played enough no. recently. I think that's the biggest issue. She's only played one match since the Olympics last year because of that foot surgery and I just think it's it was probably a little too far too much a step too forward, soon. you know. Yeah. Well, I th- I think I agree with you. I, I 
it is easy in hindsight and I'm sure Judy Murray is, is going over and over that decision in, in her mind. Um, yes, in hindsight, it probably was the wrong decision, but it's, it's difficult to to launch too much criticism at Judy Murray, and, isn't it? Uh, and you know what? There's, there's absolutely no... I mean, we can say it's the wrong decision or the right decision. It may have ended up with the same result either way. Yeah, well, um, you quite, know, you could, you could have maybe and, chosen and, and any frank, one of three. And frankly, Laura Robson's match is, is the one that should have been won rather than rather than the other. I mean, that that's Ranking the one that, that could yeah. have made, really should have made the tie go in a different direction. I'll so, tell you what, though, that, that, uh, that player for Argentina, Paula Ormachea, she could play. I mean, this is what, what is surprising. And I also think that this is what Fed Cup and Davis Cup can do. It can raise a player's level beyond their ranking. And, um, and I think that that's what happened to Ormachea particularly. I think she played fantastically well. And um, and Laura Robson would actually have had to play at the top of her ability mm. to have won that match. Yeah, and Clay does expose her the weakest part of her game, which is obviously the movement. You know, Clay yeah. Clay does rather leave that aspect of her game. Yeah, I mean, have uh, you? Bare. I mean, she's quite tall, five feet eleven. Have mm. you? You know, you've never even seen me play tennis. If you saw me on a clay court, I tell you, it is an ugly sight. And uh, there, there are sort of limbs sliding everywhere, and and uh, and well, anyway, I'll leave it there. It's you know, even thinking about it, I get a bit queasy. Uh, but uh, the Fed Cup in general was uh, was quite um, quite a weekend. The Russia against Czech Republic, no, in fact, it was Russia against Slovak Republic uh, tie in the semi-finals of the World Group. They were two love down at home in Moscow. Were Russia came back to win in five, three, two. So what a performance that was, particularly from Ekaterina Makarova, who was drafted in and won the fourth rubber. Um, that, it was a great story for, for Russia, that. Yeah, fantastic. Makarova, it could be one of these, you know, big occasion players, couldn't she? She's had some notable wins, you know, Serena Willie beating Serena uh, in Australia last year on, on the Rod Laver Arena there is springing to mind, and she certainly rose to the occasion over the weekend. So... Maybe she's a she's a big time player. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they will play now. Russia will play against Italy in the final. Italy uh, won their tie against the Czech Republic. They were leading two love with Roberta Vinci and Sararani doing their bit um, in the singles. And then the they went two one up the following day on the Sunday. And then the rain intervened. And then eventually Vinci finished it off with victory uh, over Lucy Safarova. So a great victory as well for Italy. So Italy against Russia in the final of the Fed Cup, which is in its 50th year. And, you know, this is the first time, Catherine, I've properly covered uh, Fed Cup. And, mm. and I really enjoyed it, first so, of all. So you must now be able to ex- explain the mechanics to me, David. I Please explain you. the format of the Fed Cup to me. Cause... I am an absolute genius where it comes to I haven't honestly Catherine I haven't got a clue what's going it's on it's pretty uh, complicated isn't it? it it is I mean first things first it's a brilliant weekend of tennis to follow all the results and and you can see all the passion the players are showing and the crowd get into it I love team competitions I love representing your country I love all of that but you know if you think Davis Cup's confusing have a look at Fed Cup and try to explain it as a journalist uh, or a broadcaster. You know, the fact that Britain had already got out of the Euro-African zone in February. So they go into what is a World Group 2 playoff in April. That's what they played uh, at the weekend. If they won that, do they go into the World Group? No, they go into World Group 2 next year. Can you explain to me why it doesn't mirror exactly the Davis Cup? Why there needs to be... 
a different format at all. Could you, could, are you able to explain no, I, that? I don't, I, you know, I think, I think I have heard about that before, and I, and I think it's important that we actually speak to the ITF, and that's something I'd... I, I... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm going to do when I next see them and ask them how they came up with this format. Just, just I mean, if there's a good reason, I'd like to know what it is and uh, and how they arrive at this particular format. Maybe it's because they don't want to occupy too many weekends in the year. Um, because what what yeah. I think they do well is they is they have it over a couple of days and they really put it all together. And I, I mean, I actually like that the format that they play the Euro African zone in of of sort of going over there and playing sort of five ties I agree. in four days. Or whatever, yeah, four, I think that works really well. It's certainly a very efficient efficient way of yeah. doing it and but, but uh, trying to i mean trying to explain that that britain would have got promotion into the world group two and if they then won their tie in world group two they got a playoff the same year to go into world group one and then they'd be in with a chance of actually winning the fed cup it's it, just it's, it's just alienating potential understand. supporters of of the competition isn't it because as you say it's a great it's a great product it's a great you know it was some fantastic tennis um there's lots of interest and intrigue there and why? Why would you want to alienate um, any any potential supporters of the event? Well, I don't, I don't think they do. I, I'm quite sure there's an absolutely good reason they've done this, but I but I don't know what it is. So I'm going to have to ask. But certainly from the outside looking in, and from a, from the point of view of a journalist trying to communicate what what is happening and why, it, it is it is tricky. I have to say that. Uh, but it was a great weekend, and uh, we uh, we look forward uh, to. The, uh, the Fed Cup final between Italy and Russia later this year and Britain back down in the Euro-African zone next year. It's, it's, that's tif- difficult as well, isn't it? You know, getting so close to being at, at a higher level. And chan- and I think this is one of the biggest disappointments from Judy Murray's perspective is that this would have given a chance to maybe draw a home tie next year in the World Group 2 and, and actually be able to promote women's tennis in Great Britain off the back of it. Yeah, and obviously they've they've got to look at the facts, which are that they they weren't at full strength in Argentina, and had they been at full strength, things could have been very different. Heather Watson yeah. more comfortable on clay um, than the other members of the team. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like you know we were absolutely at our best and everything was in our favour, and and we just weren't good enough. You know, there's more there's more to come from that team 
Um, there's obviously Heather Watson to join, but you know they could get get more lucky with with the draw. You know, way Argentina is is on the clay is about as difficult as it gets for them. So I think there's reason to 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 be still be hopeful for for next year. Um, yeah, there is. We, we, we maintain our, our faith. And of course, Great Britain are in the Davis Cup uh, World Group playoff as well in September. And if they win that, they get into the World Group. No no number twos in the uh, in the Davis Cup. So that's a, a little bit of a relief. Right, Catherine, I think we need to hear from uh, Grigor Dimitrov. Second time, first player we've ever had on twice in the tennis podcast. And uh, he gets a special It's only right that it. it be him, isn't it? We, we give him a, a second go because he's the tennis podcast's own player, uh, Grigor Dimitrov, who we love. And uh, he is uh, really starting to come into his own now. He put in that great performance against Rafa Nadal. I spoke to him in Miami uh, a month ago. And um, what I was particularly interested in was it was ahead of his match with Andy Murray. So you'll hear a, a question and answer about playing Andy Murray and the, and the sort of the conundrum a player like he faces as to whether to attack or defend and and but I also really wanted to know about the relationship he'd now got with the the good to great uh, uh, coaching company in uh, Sweden which is uh, run by Nicholas Colty and Mikael Tilström and Magnus Norman and it was Norman who was out there uh, in Miami with him I wanted to know about that and I also wanted to ask him about the fact that he seems to play doubles almost every week he's playing again this week in Barcelona his partner is Radek Stepanek what a partnership that is mm. but uh, I wanted to know you know it's almost a throwback isn't it John McEnroe always played doubles every week said it was the best form of practice and so we wanted to know that about uh, from the perspective of Grigor Dimitrov as well. But first we asked him about the problems of playing against Andy Murray. How do you balance out the strategy of a match against Andy Murray? Because I'm, I imagine you need to be attacking, you need to attack him, but at the same time you can't just go crazy. No, of course. I mean, there's there's, there's a couple of things that I'll, uh, I'll try tomorrow um, to use in the game. I mean, it depends also how the game goes and how the game starts and... Uh, you never know, of course. Uh, one thing, it can be one of those days that you actually don't put a ball in the court and or it can be a totally opposite. Next thing you know, you're just hitting all over the place and the next thing you know, you're making the shot. So uh, I think as the match goes on, I, I think i got to come up with a plan, with a strategy, of course. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll make it up probably tomorrow, um, you know, towards the match and definitely coming out of the match will be one of the keys for me to to kind of look uh, look up when when the match begins and then eventually get into the rhythm. You work now with the Swedish group of, of players, ex-players, led by people like Magnus Norman, who's been a world number two. What has that been like so far? It's, it's a great experience. Uh, we're gonna for sure we're gonna do a couple of more weeks here and there. It's so it's good I think to mix to mix up and. Uh, well, they're first they're great and experienced players, all of them that are into good to great academy in uh, in Stockholm, and it's always a lot of um, a lot of new things that actually comes in every week. So it, I, that makes it actually pretty interesting, and uh, it gives you that extra edge and actually pushes you to really work hard and 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 discover new things. Seeing you every day now in the singles or the doubles draw, it's not, it's not something that that many of the top players do these days. You know, if I look at the top ten, most of them just play singles. Why are you playing doubles as well? I think doubles is uh, is a good way of practicing. Uh, I mean, you have the, you can practice the volleys, the returns, the serve, serve and volley, different situation. Of course, it's uh, it's not easy 
definitely but uh um i think it's the approach really matters towards this sort of um uh this sort of a you know a game plan and all this cuz i mean still you got to play doubles today tomorrow singles and everything so you got to be ready all the time and you got to put all the warm ups again and all that so of course that takes a lot of energy out of you but i think at, at that point of my career at that point of my uh my state i think also my body allows me to do it of course and uh i'm i think i'm just i've been on the tour just quite a few years already so um there's always a lot of things to learn and and i'm eager to to learn a lot of uh, a lot of a lot from the sport so it's actually i think it is a, is a positive thing well there's grigor dimitrov talking about uh, the doubles that he's playing uh, so regularly catherine it's it's an interesting one isn't it do you think he's going to be able to sustain that i mean the fact is he's playing again in barcelona this week i looked at his his schedule he's playing barcelona he's playing madrid rome i think he's playing the world team cup before he even gets to roland garros and he's playing singles and doubles every week now on one level, I'm sure that'll build stamina and uh, and and so forth, and be, make him even more professional. But I'm not sure he can do that for that many years. I, oof. I mean, he's young, isn't he? I I don't see too much harm in uh, in his schedule at the moment, and uh, it depends. You know, if he starts consistently getting to the to the latter stages of tournaments, he'll probably cut down his schedule because then you're obviously playing more matches with each week that you sign up for. But you know, as 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 things have been going, he's he's only been reaching you know probably on average the halfway point or third rounds or or something like that of tournaments. So so actually playing week in week out isn't the same as as Rafa or Djokovic playing week in week out because it's just fewer matches, frankly. Um, so yeah, if if he does get more consistent, then I, I'm sure his schedule will start to look a bit different. But at this stage, I'm not too worried about that. I think playing lots of doubles makes total sense for him because his he is quite unique, I think, in the modern game in that he's a complete player. I mean, he is classical, isn't he? He's he's in the we know he's in the Roger Federer mold. And and that's what doubles can help you work on, isn't it? I mean, becoming a more complete player. Um, so f- to me, that makes that makes sense. I I really love to hear of of players playing doubles like that because it suggests to me that they they just love tennis. They love being out there, and and that that makes me smile because because I really I, I enjoy watching people that that love the game. Um, the more difficult question to answer is, will he be able to keep this up? Because we just don't know, do we? He hasn't Well, the, yet... the, big, the big question we've been asking, Catherine, on Twitter, and I want to know what you're, you have to say about this, is Peter Fleming said there is going to come a point for Grigor Dimitrov when he can be number one in the world because Nadal and Federer will eventually retire before before Dimitrov even hits his peak. And then Djokovic and Murray even could be on the slide by the time Dimitrov at 22 finally hits his peak. That, oh, that was his, his view in commentary. There is no doubt it is there for him. It is absolutely there for him, both the, the potential opening at the top of the game and in terms of his ability. There is no doubt in my mind it's, it's possible, if not probable. Um, you know, I, I, I think not enough... 
emphasis is placed on, you know, not all world number ones are equal, I'm afraid. You know, at the moment, in a different era, David Ferrer could have been world number one. You know, I look at Leighton Hewitt as a case study, for example, perhaps now because he is well into his 30s. and But certainly a few years ago, I don't think he was any worse a player than when he was world number one. I just think that he was able to capitalise on a period where he was post-Sampras, pre-Federer, and there was a gap. There was a gap at the top of the game, yeah. and he... I don't want to diminish the, the level of tennis he was playing because he was fantastic, but there is no doubt he was lucky in terms of the time that he he peaked. Um, so I, I, th- I think that's a good point from Peter Fleming, that... That that is a significant factor, and it's a, it's a factor that could play into Dimitrov's hands, as you say. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a very full point. Now, what I asked as well on Twitter was: so, of which of the following players would win a Grand Slam tournament? Dimitrov, Ryanic, Tomic, uh, Thomas Burdich, um, uh, Juan Martín del Potro, and I got about eight answers of people saying he's already won one. I knew that. I meant in the future, and uh, and I also uh, then completely forgot about David Ferrer and I got lambasted rightly for that as well now first of all we'll hear a few views from our listeners Catherine then you can wade in with yours as well Tom Moore has said that Dimitrov has a great foundation to work from and will be number one when he's 26 years of age well, that's four years' time. The the tour, he says, are working out Tomic and also Dolgopolov, um, which, is, which is an interesting one. I, I saw they played against each other last week. Dolgopolov won that easily. And in fact, Dolgopolov was uh, teaching uh, Del Potro a few lessons for about a set and a half, but he couldn't sustain it. Ian Dent says that uh, Tomic is very talented, but he's too erratic. He thinks Dimitrov looks the most promising of all of them. Uh, Ian Warren says that he'd love to be able to say Tomic, but in reality, he won't make it. Interesting. He says, he, and he, in fact, how about this one? He says, I think the next new slam winner is none of these. Well, does he say who it is then? Well, I think that the view is that, I th- and I think he might have added to that later on, because certainly somebody said the next Grand Slam winner out of outside of Federer, yeah. Nadal, Djokovic and Murray is a junior at the moment. Oh, blimey. Um, okay, did, did he specify which junior or just... In fact, he does say that. He, he says he says none of these will win a slam. Next slam winners are in the juniors. Wow. Ian. Wow, those are big words, especially given the ages, the sort of ages we're seeing people peak at the moment. It's not teens anymore. It's early 20s. So that sort of suggests you, we're, you're having none of this, we're Catherine. five, four or five years away, maybe, from, from a grand... Are you, are, you say, are you saying no to Ian? I'm saying no. I'm saying a respectful no. OK. Sorry, Ian. Uh, we have uh, Jose, who says uh, that Dolgopolov is very unpredictable. Tomic has ups and downs. In, so he thinks it's between Ryanich and Dimitrov as to who will win the next slam outside of that big group. I, uh, oh, OK, we'll save my thoughts. Carry on. Yes, we'll save your thoughts. We've had enough of yours at the moment. Uh, Joe says, um, now how about this one? He says Dimitrov will win more slams in his career than Andy Murray. Controversial. Ooh, I do, that's an interesting one. No, yeah, not necessarily um, absurd. That prediction. Come no. on, then, Catherine. What do you think? Who's going who's who's to end up retiring with more Grand Slam well, tournaments? Know, out of Andy do, Murray, do, who already has I, one, and Grigor Dimitrov, who can't even reach a final no, of. Uh, I, obviously, well, I, think I do think Andy Murray. If, you, I, if I was predicting that now, I'd say Andy Murray. I just don't think that's 
that absurd. You know, certainly if 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 it all comes together for Dimitrov, he could be winning. He could be winning a couple of slams a year. Could be. You're right. Moneyball Tennis says that uh, Joe Wilfred Songer, oh, he was the other one I mentioned, will uh, will win Wimbledon. Uh, he managed to to reach the semis last year, even with an injured pinky. Quite quite right too. Uh, Jonathan Morgan says that uh, Del Potro and Ryanich are the most likely. Dimitrov has potential, but he's not sure, uh, and he doesn't think Burdich, Songer, or Tomic have the head to win a Grand Slam tournament. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, Rian also uh, mentions quite rightly that there'll be more opportunities in the next few years with Federer and Rafa getting older. Hetty Knox says, Delpo! Exclamation mark. Performance in Indian Wells proved he can beat the big four. He's a contender for the US Open this year, considering, considering his previous win there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got to go with a proven Grand Slam champion, haven't you? Of, of of all those you'd mentioned, I'd put him at the top of the list in yeah. in the queue to win a to win a Grand Slam title. I'd put him at the top. What what struck me about Dimitrov last week, and and I started to allude to it after he beat Melise in the first round in the last tennis podcast, but he he played last week like a professional, not like a junior. He looked mm. like a man, you know, and and he just carried himself like a sort of proper tennis player, not just some kid who's experimenting with the shots he might be able to hit. And and I found that very encouraging from, from the point of view of somebody who wants to see him maximise his potential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know how much of it is between the ears for Dimitrov and, and seeing a shift in his in the way he carries himself, has to indicate a shift in his mentality, I think, as well. So, Catherine, Catherine, will David Ferrer ever reach a Grand Slam final? Uh, with a slice of luck, yes. I think I've said this before. I, I think if if Djokovic or... I think he's third favourite to win the French behind Djokovic and Rafa. Interesting. So it would take some you, luck. If you it would take David somebody Ferrer else up knocking against... out the top people. You think Ferrer would beat Roger Federer, having never beaten him in his life before? <sighs> Do I think that? That is a big prediction, isn't it? Hmm. I, th- I, mean, I think if he, I think it would be fifty. Uh, yeah, if it came to a, a a matchup between those two, it'd be difficult to go against their head to head. But you know, he could be in. I think if he was in the other side of the draw to Federer, and somebody else took care of Federer, for example, say Murray took care of Federer, I would back Ferrer to beat Murray in in the following round. Yeah. So um, I think I I think he has a chance if he gets a slice of luck. Yes. Yes. He 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 has a chance. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, Phil Marshall has actually put numbers on his predictions. He says Del Potro will win two more. Burdich and Songer and Tomic won't win any. Dimitrov will win three, and Raonic will win two. Wow. How I about was that? I was with him I, there until he said Raonic will win two because I don't think Raonic is the real deal. Whoa, very controversial. Hey, did you see that uh, video from Monte Carlo uh, with the cabaret they have on stage? I did not. No, tell me it more. It was great. They did They did something called the Harlem Shake. Now, being 85 years of age, I don't really know what that is. But what it does mean is that there are lots of people um, dancing around on the stage. Mm-hmm. And it was Milos Raonic who was leading the band. And, and he was actually really good. He was very, very funny. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he's musically talented, but um, 
I, I, I think I think he's got Grand Slam semis in him. If he has a slice of luck, possibly a Grand Slam final. I just don't. I, 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 I don't see it from him yet. Interesting. Well, it'd be interesting if you can actually make it work on on grass for himself, because you know, with that sort of game, happy to go to the net. You know, it'd be interesting to see if that sort of tennis is is uh, is in his um, locker, as the Americans mm. like to say. I would say that. Thomas Berlich and Joe Wilfred Songer, I th- I could see them both reaching a final of a slam. I'm not sure whether they'll... I mean, they've both already done it once, but I could see them doing one more. Mm. Um, I could see Del Potro winning a slam. I've already said that. And I, I've said he'll reach a final this year. Um, Tomich, I'm really not sure about because I just... I, I think it could go either way with him. I, I think he's got a real chance in Australia. Ironically, a lot of players struggle in their hometown, but I think over there he's a different player. I think Dimitra will win multiple Grand Slams. I'm quite happy to say that. There you go. Wow, we like that. We like bold predictions. I agree yeah. with you about Tomic, by the way. Mark, it's mark on the date. Edge. His career is on a knife edge. It's Tuesday, the 23rd of April in 2013, and David Laura said Dimitrov will win multiple Grand Slam titles. There we are. And that could just be two. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, now, are there any more? David Ferrer, the big question. A lot of people are saying he's supremely fit, but he just always runs into the brick wall of the other four. Uh, some people have said, never, he'll never win one. And other people have said, yes, of course he will. Uh, Songa is uh, Vicky Hennessy's uh, view because he has the guts, passion and the flair. And uh, Chris Lynch says four semifinals and two quarterfinals since 2011 uh, from David Ferrer. He is the forgotten man, but he is still class well we will certainly agree with you there chris he's a he's a he's a great player and uh and we like watching him as well uh vic verity buckingham says uh definitely think ryanich will win after the big four uh no more and uh Berdich or del potro could win one if they get a lucky draw and finally can we have just one more from chris Souter? who says Andy Murray will win more Masters titles than Dimitrov will win tour events, never mind slams. So there's lots of different opinions Ouch. out there, Catherine. Ooh. That's what makes it fun, isn't That's it? It's like a stab through David's heart, that comment. Oh, I can handle it. Well, listen, I'm an Andy Murray fan as well. I mean, you know, he's a, I'm British. Yeah, is that a comment about um, just how many Masters titles Murray will win or how few tour titles Dimitrov will win? Or is it, it, is, somewhere, it somewhere Dimitrov does definitely... Dimitrov divides opinion hugely because... Some people think, like me, uh, just uh, uh, think it is all there and, and eventually it's going to come together. Others, I think, look at him and just think, you know, it's he flatters to deceive and, and, and it's it's flashy but not effective. So I think the jury is still out to some degree. I mean, he's 28 in the world now. It's his highest ranking yet, but he still has a massive amount to prove. There's no question about that. Oh, yeah, we're we're not... We're not doubting there's still a long way to go. We're just predicting that he will get there one way or another. We are. We are. Well, I've enjoyed it, Catherine. It's been a pleasure uh, to have your company on the Tennis Podcast as always. Thanks to everybody for listening. We had some great news uh, from the Queen's Tennis Tournament, the Aegon Championships perspective over the last week uh, and the rally against cancer that we're running on finals day to raise money for the Royal Marsden Cancer Charity. And the, the news is that Ivan Lendl and Thomas Burditch have both signed up to play in that match in the doubles exhibition against Andy Murray and Tim Henman. Uh, there might 
might be one or two tickets left. They may already have gone by now. But uh, do go on to the A-Gun Championships website because I think there are still some tickets, particularly early on in the week, Monday and Tuesday. I think there's still a few available. So if you get onto the website there, you'll be able to, to pick them up if they are available because often they get returned from the ballot if people can't uh, take their allocation. So go and have a look. See if you can get tickets to Queen's because uh, it's a great day out. But that's great to see that Lendl and Berlich have, have committed to that. Imagine that. Lendl against Murray, coach against pupil. Uh, that, that could be a bit a bit tense. Sounds tasty, doesn't it? I like the thought of, I bet Tim Edmonds quaking in his boots at the thought of Ivan Lendl drilling passing shots straight into his chest while he stands at the net. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure Lendl is just so looking forward to that <laughs> yeah. prospect. Yeah, well, we, we'll look forward to watching that and we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for your company and we'll speak to you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs>